Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Spark London. We tell true stories. We tell them live. And we tell them all across London. To attend one of our live shows, go to sparklondon.com. Thank you. No, really excited to be here. Uh, for those that don't know, I see some familiar faces. For those that don't know, Spark is where we tell true stories. We tell them live and we tell them all across London. I first came to my first Spark a year ago and I met these lovely, lovely weirdos, basically. that <laughs> We're all just very different and in a room and all getting up and having this sort of uncensored form of expression. And so I feel privileged to be here hosting it tonight and I'm very excited to introduce some very interesting storytellers to you tonight. So without further ado, please give your warmest, sparkling welcome to Christine, ladies and gentlemen. So it all began in late 2007, and I was on the phone with my newly ex-boyfriend, And I said to him, look, I think we're at an impasse in our relationship. We can either go our separate ways or we can choose to try. And I choose to try. And there was a long pause at the other end of the line. And he says, did you rehearse this speech? And I looked down at the printed off notes on my lap and said, no, no, you know, I just really mean it. And he said, this conversation is annoying. And so I said, all right, well, if I don't speak to you ever again, I just wanted to let you know. And he cuts me off and goes, you will, jeez. And this is what I had been reduced to. I had moved to London from Canada in early 2007, thinking I was this brash, brave, and brazen woman. I was going to take London by storm. And by the end of the year, I was begging my boyfriend to stay with me. I had been fired from yet another job. And I was living in an ex-council flat in lovely Elephant and Castle. And so I got off the phone with him and I was like, I need to do something, you know, with my life that just reminds me that life in London can be spectacular. I I need to remember that life can be spectacular. And so I went on to the Channel 4 website and applied to be on a reality TV show. (laughs) Why? Because fuck him, that's why. So I was flipping through their website and looking at the different kind of shows you can apply to be on. There was a cooking show, no, a home improvement show, no, a weight loss show, no. 
And then I came across this button that said, calling all feminists. So I clicked on that. And uh, it said, are you this brave, independent woman? Do you like putting men in their place? Fill out this questionnaire and send us your photograph. So I filled out the questionnaire. (laughs) I just realized that's kind of ironic. Um, So I filled out the questionnaire. And uh, I even remember one of the questions. It was, uh, why do you want to be on television? And my response was, because I'm awesome and people love me. Um, You know, I was just really facetious with the whole thing. I was just taking the piss. Sent in the questionnaire and my photograph. A week later, I get a phone call from one of the researchers on the production company, and they're like, do you want to come in for an on-camera interview? So I said, all right. And I went into their production offices a week later, and they trained a camera on me, basically just asked me the same questions that were on the questionnaire. (laughs) One of the questions they asked me was, what's the one thing that you really want to teach men? What do you think women can really teach men? And I said, cunnilingus. (laughs) So that went well. Um, And when that was over, they said, oh, you have this really great on-camera presence, we'll call you. And over the next month, I had to go in and do a police background check, be interviewed by a psychologist, meet the executive producers and series producers, uh, have a costume fitting. And it was only a month later when I found myself at Heathrow Airport that I knew that we actually weren't filming this in the United Kingdom. They put the ticket in my hand, and I was on my way to the Dominican Republic. But still, didn't know the name of the show, didn't know who else had been cast, and I didn't even know the premise of the show, and I was on my way across the planet. We arrive in Dominican Republic, and they take us out five hours to this deserted section, and there's this massive crew there of 200 and this huge Jerry Bruckheimer set, and I'm feeling like really out of my element. I have no idea what I've just gotten myself into. And it's only when the camera was trained on me that they finally revealed I had been cast in When Women Rule the World. (laughs) And the premise of this show was there were eight women and ten men, And the only law on this island was women rule, men obey. And so the men were our servants. They had to do the cooking, the cleaning, even paint my toenails if I deemed it worthy. The women were the governors of this island. And in every episode that we filmed, uh, whatever man didn't measure up was eliminated or sacrificed to the sea, as we put it. (laughs) And in the final episode, The Last Man Standing won 30,000 pounds. And uh, it was hosted by Steve Jones, who some of you might remember from T4 Sundays. And (laughs) that's how I know him. (laughs) And uh, yeah, in every other episode, uh, the women could elect a queen. I was elected queen in episode six. I was quite proud of myself, remained queen until the end. Anyway, so we filmed this over two months in January and February of 2008. And uh, at the end of the shoot, at the wrap party, all the girls and I were, were talking about, you know, this could really change our lives. You have to remember that, like, this was a time when reality TV stars were becoming massive celebrities, like... Shilpa Shetty and Jade Goody and Chantel and Preston. And and we were like, this is going to change our lives. We're going to go back to the UK and be mega stars. We have no idea what's going to happen, right? We go back to the UK, and a couple months later, we have to start doing promotion for the show. So um, I ended up on Richard and Judy, which was really quite exciting. Um, I was interviewed on the BBC, and my face was in, like, Metro and, like, you know, the London paper and the Evening Standard. And and then there was all this press and all this media hype about the show, and we're like, oh, my God, it's happening, it's happening. And then the show aired. 
And it was just really shrill and pedantic. And it was supposed to be ironic and tongue-in-cheek, but it just wasn't. It was just poorly edited. I didn't have a problem with the way that I came off in the show. I think they edited me quite well, even though I was rather stroppy. Um, And I, I was perfectly fine with my representation. But, you know, the critics hated us. You know, we had really high ratings, but the critics just lampooned us. You know, the Times hated us. Metro hated us. Heat Magazine hated us. (laughs) When Heat Magazine thinks that you're shrill, (laughs) you know you're not doing very well. And so, you know, during the run of the show, Channel 4 just kept switching around our time slot from like 9 to 10 to 10.30 to 11.45. And by that point, nobody was even watching by the end of the run. And so, yeah, I may have gotten recognized on the street a few times, but nothing really came out of it. And, you know, and for that ex-boyfriend who I was trying to get back at, he messaged me about the show. He said, I heard you did a TV show. I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to see it. And so now, whenever I see a reality TV show, I sincerely hope that the women on those shows get exactly what they want out of it. I sincerely hope that they get the fame and the fortune and the glory and the fans. And I sincerely hope they get book deals and perfume deals and they have torrid celebrity affairs and they go to glamorous parties. And for the men who walked out on them, I sincerely hope that they deeply regret ever breaking their hearts. Thank you. Some stories about Valentine's or love stories there, lovely gifts given. Are we looking forward to Valentine's Day? No, why? Why look forward to it? It's a depressing day. Why would you do that? Um, Odd to to put so much into one day. Anyone else got any uh, Valentine's gifts they want to share? I once got a uh, a, a pot of bubble mixture. Oh. Yeah, like your common or gut 79p from the newsagent. She was... She was 20 at the time. It was, she wasn't eight, Anna. It was using her pocket money to buy that. <laughs> she was a full-grown woman with a, with a wage. But did it have... <laughs> <laughs> what I want to know, did it have one of those wands that was in the shape of a heart? <laughs> no, it wasn't no, even one of those. A, That's a premium a version. Oval. Okay, yeah. Now, my, my personally, my favourite um, Valentine's... Uh, present was a was a game of travel connect four um you guys fans of connect four yeah <laughs> yeah who isn't uh, i used to flirt with this boy at school his name was georgie he had these beautiful brown eyes like maltesers and the way that we used to flirt is they sit next to each other and play connect four on paper and um we decided we'd go out for a date uh, I was like 17 at the time and uh, it was very awkward because we had this one week that we could go on a date in this one week, right? And the only day that we were both available was Valentine's Day. That's, that's awkward already, first date on Valentine's Day. And uh, we turn up and I said, oh, do you get someone a present? I'll, I'll get him a jokey present. And um, I got this travel set of Connect Four wrapped it up. And I remember we went, we went to McDonald's just to start the date. Other things happened. And he gave me the present. I said, I've got you a present too, isn't that weird? And it was the same sort of shape. 
and size. I opened it, and it was exactly the same Connect Four travel set, same brand and everything that I'd got for him. And then, you know, we realised then that that was that was basically it. <laughs> we had to be together. That was that was decided. And so we were for another year and a half, and then it ended. So, are you ready for your? <laughs> are you ready for your next storyteller? Clap your hands, get excited for John, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Um, I know I'm big, but I but I have these really big hands and. Um, uh, they kind of turned up when I was 16, uh, when, when I re- reached my full proportion. And, uh, and, and the other kids thought they were rather funny, and I wanted to belong and fit in. And, um, uh, and you know, when I was very sensitive about having my hands sh- shaken, I would scrutinise the, the, the expression on the person's face to check there wasn't anything else going on. Um, and uh, eventually, you know, I began to worry about it so much, I asked my mum about it and said, you know, Mum, have I got big hands? And she said... Oh, uh, oh no, darling! You're perfectly in proportion. You're you're a big man. You're a big man. You're perfectly in proportion. And uh, uh, and God bless my mum and and mothers who have sons like that. Because uh, I had five years of of, of nice denial um, until I was about twenty, uh, and then um, something happened in, in the world at that point. The Shah of Iran and his secret police were creating quite a lot of um, political refugees, uh, and the custom of the time was for some of these refugees who were protesting to hold these big folders uh, of uh, kind of um, plastic envelopes with with pictures in them. The pictures would be of the atrocities in Iran and very often they'd be of the the torture in Iran and they they would show you these photographs and ask you to sign up a petition, you know, protesting against what was happening in Iran. So I'd always avoided these people because I had nothing to do with me and and then one time I didn't I don't know, perhaps I wasn't paying attention or something, but anyway, then I, this, this guy was showing me these pictures, and as I feared, they, they weren't great pictures. They were the picture of somebody who'd been whipped, somebody who'd been electrocuted, somebody who'd been mangled, and, um, and, and dead people, and page five was a picture of a, of, of, of a rather grim-looking building with a, with, a, with a large fence around it, and the guy who was talking to me said, and this is where my brother died. Page six was, was, was another um, grim-looking building. He said, my, my sister is in prison in that building still. And then there was this large pause. And then he said, you've got very big hands, haven't you? <laughs> and uh, at that point, I, I, I did sign the petition, but I, I also did... I also did completely get and understand and appreciate and, and realise that I had big hands. Um, so, moving forward ten years, I, ten years on, I was much more... By the way, I was much more advanced about my hands. I realised that if I was cool about my big hands, other people would be cool about my big hands, and that mainly worked. Um, but ten years later, I was working in local government, um, and uh, British advertising, this is the 80s now, was in, it was in its sort of zenith and it was incredibly groovy. And I wanted to leave my um, job in local government and become uh, an advertising copywriter. So I got myself into a one-year college for that and I was terrible at it. I, my ads were impoverished. And um, <laughs> the, the, uh, the principal t- took me into his 
office about halfway through and begged me not to, to continue with this career. What, I, what, I could go into, you know, I could go into selling or marketing, you know, but, but not this, not this. This wasn't going to work. But I had lots of friends who were doing it and I admired them and I believed in hard work and thought, well, I'll just, I'll just get better at it. So I went on some placements and, uh, you know, and I was ejected from one of them. Um, the, the work was so poor and uh, all my friends started getting jobs and uh, uh, I didn't get jobs. I got, I got, I got given little sort of, you know, colouring in things to do that other, other people weren't able to do. And it was quite difficult because I was very enthusiastic at the time. And the things about the things that come easily to, to me uh, are, are that I don't respect them because I haven't had to work for them. So I was very enthusiastic and I didn't know I was very enthusiastic and I didn't think it had any value, really. So, so the clients would get really confused because I'd go in there with my ad and be incredibly enthusiastic and they would think it's wonderful and then I'd leave and then silence would fall and the account men would be embarrassed and... I finally got a job after a year of hanging around fashionable agencies with those, all those 80s iridescent, brilliant colours, you know, pinks and blues and whites everywhere. I got this job, and uh, it lasted about a year. It didn't go too well, and, and, and eventually, after several um, complaints from the clients, I got fired, and, uh, and I, I was kind of mortified and ashamed, and, and, I, and I was fed up and disappointed, and, and I, about the same time, I'd been studying Zen, which was also very fashionable at the time. And I was very interested in Zen Buddhism at that point, and, and I started to think, well, you know, th- you know, this is this the, the, the vanity of human affairs, and you know, well, I, what, you know, what is this life anyway? So, I started attending a Soto Zen Buddhist monastery in the Pennines, and I, I quite liked it, and I and I quite liked the teacher I met who was helping me do meditation. He was an ex sewage engineer, and he was very good on cleaning up. Buddhist karma, you know, and, and using sort of mechanic, <laughs> mechanical uh, uh, analogies for cleaning up karma. Uh, 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 and that, that was pretty great. Uh, uh, and, and the main practice was, apart from occasionally reading the sutras, was to, that you spent about eight hours a day staring at a wall with your eyes open, you know, uh, um, not being attached to your thoughts or attempting not to be attached to your thoughts. And every week the guy would ask me how it's doing and I would still be attached to my thoughts and and this went on, and, and, I, and I spent more and more time in the monastery, and until I'd been there about six months, when uh, finally I had this revelation, this desperate revelation, which was that I was sulking. I was sulking about my career in advertising. I'd spent six months <laughs> in a monastery sulking about my career in advertising. And uh, I left the next day. I spoke to the management. Uh, l- l- left the next day and, and, and kind of got on with my life. And... <laughs> Because so in my life, subsequently, lots of these things would continue. You know, I, I would have these big revelations, all these silly revelations about things that should have been obvious to me, and then some, sometimes, boom, they run you over, and you know, the, 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 that seemed to be what my life was like. And then I turned sixty uh, last year and had a couple of life events, and and a couple of things were sort of shaken out that I saw, and I, and I saw that you know, most of my life had been full of um, stubbornness and denial, and. And I was a bit downcast to get this very useful piece of information so late in my life. Uh, um, but, but then I saw that, uh, that, that, you know, that if, if a person is really good at denial and really good at denying they're in denial, then it probably will take 50 or 60 years before they, they find out that's what happened. <laughs> John, 
Did he like that? Good. Yeah, it's very good. He liked it particularly. Very good. Good. And also, one of the things that we do do at Spark after these nights, we've we've we're come down, coming down to our final act now. So after that, it's not over, because we go downstairs to the bar and we all chat. And maybe, maybe if you're lucky, you'll get to shake those big hands. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm very excited to introduce... And pretend you've got massive hands right now. That's how I want to hear the claps, as if it's a hundred Johns clapping right now to introduce your final act of the evening, Helen, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. I'm going to tell the story of why I've not been to any of my grandparents' funerals. It's because none of them are dead. Good night. No. <laughs> All four of them, the full complement, are dead. And uh, two of them are easy to explain. My paternal grandparents, the first and the last to die, uh, lived in South Africa, and they were both Jews and under Jewish law. The funerals take place within 24 hours of the death, and it's very difficult to get to South Africa with under 24 hours' notice. I do sort of wish that I'd been at my paternal grandmother's uh, funeral, uh, which was a year ago, because there was a typo on her gravestone. And I really would have liked to have seen how that went down. Uh, What it said, it was supposed to say, uh, remembered with love and respect by all of her family and friends. But this takes on a really different gloss if you leave the R out of friends. (laughs) And any other mistake would just be a mistake. But that looked deliberate. They thought my dad had done it. And I like think, what were the stonemasons on? And they go, hey, boss, we don't often see the word fiends in our line of work. Do, we, do, do, you, think that's, do you think that's right? Yeah, it's just some uh, posthumous trolling. Uh, uh, the other two grandparents are a lot more complicated. It's not that I didn't get on with them. It wasn't falling out. They were, they were top-notch grandparents, both very interesting, very active people, well into their 80s. My grandmother did have one 
sort of flaw. It's it's hard to know what to term it. It's a bit. It's not exactly passive aggression. It's more like passive destruction. In that, she would say, "Well, I don't want to make a fuss. I don't want to be a bother." But in doing so, she would create the biggest fuss. In 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 the way that the, the family Christmas round, I'm sure uh, many of you have experienced those, would begin in August. Uh, because she didn't want to make a fuss. Kaboom. Uh, uh, her not wanting to make a fuss, like. Um, if you took great pains to mow your lawn into absolutely perfect stripes without checking to see if there are any babies asleep on the grass before you began. (laughs) But this trait of hers deepened when my grandfather in his 80s suddenly had a series of strokes and she became Stepford Granny. You could not have a normal conversation with her because everything had to be amazing all the time. What wonderful spoons! Aren't these peppercorns perfectly spherical? That's the nicest wine glass I've ever seen! This last one finished off my dad. He went, It's a perfectly bog standard wine glass, Betty! <laughs> Looking back on it, I try to be more sympathetic, and I think maybe she saw my my granddad's once mighty intellect trapped in this body that was shutting down, and she realised suddenly, after all these years, it was endgame. There wasn't much time left. And uh, when he died, um, I didn't go to his funeral, because he didn't have one. He had three last wishes, not to have a funeral, not to have a marked grave, and because he was a very devout atheist, not to be buried in a churchyard. Uh, as last wishes go, is two out of three bad? <laughs> because he didn't, he didn't have the funeral. He was buried in an unmarked grave in the lawn bit where people who've been cremated have unmarked graves in the churchyard of the church their village. And we could interpret my granny as having done this as either she wanted to be buried with my granddad and that's where she wanted to be buried, or posthumous trolling. <laughs> because 60 years of marriage to anyone is going to put you up in quite a Whichever it was, the shit hit the fan amongst my mother and her two siblings. Um, my mother also doesn't like to make fuss. Uh, she, was, she was not pleased, uh, but her younger brother was really, really furious. He, he said, when she dies, I'm going to put her on a dust cart. <laughs> and uh, just a little background on my mother and her siblings. My mother's uh, the middle child. Her older sister is a total drama queen and throughout her life has caused storms the whole time. And her younger brother was the parents' favourite. It was the apple of their eye. But he really didn't want to be the apple of anything. So he would just disappear for years at a time and try and defy their expectations downwards. And... My mother in the middle, as someone who never really caused any fun, of course she didn't cause any fuss, never really caused any troubles, very sensible and very very easy to get on with. She was rather underrated by her parents. So when four years later my grandmother did start dying, uh, my mother and her sister took care of her. My mother said, if one good thing comes out of this, it's that it's brought me and my sister together for the first time in our lives, really. And then when she did die, she was cremated and my mother and her sister decided that they didn't have to rush the funeral. They could get all of my grandparents' uh, surviving friends together for a last hurrah um, a couple of months later. So they were planning the funeral and uh, after several weeks of planning the funeral, uh, my aunt uh, suddenly dropped into the uh, conversation. Oh, by the way, we don't need to bother having an interment because I've already done it. Uh, My mother's 
very unflappable woman, very stoical, very pragmatic. This is how pragmatic and, and not wanting to cause a fuss she is. A couple of years ago, she was in a very serious car crash. She nearly died. She was in hospital for six weeks. And apparently when she was being cut out of her car by the fire brigade, her main worry was who would get my dad his supper that night. <laughs> and also, she'd taken the coffee cups home from work to clean them, and they're in the back of her car, and if she didn't go in on Monday, they wouldn't have enough cups. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was the whole, oh, I don't want to make fuss, I'll just drag myself to the side of the road. Oh, no, not an air ambulance. Oh, it's just a broken pelvis, leave me be. Uh, <laughs> And then all these weeks in hospital, you know, she didn't complain about the pain or the surgeries or the medication or the discomfort and the boredom and the indignity of being in hospital. The thing that got her was uh, once I was visiting her and she gesticulated across the ward and said, see this woman by the door? All day she'll be on the phone to people going, oh, I'm never going to walk again. But she can walk right out of the hospital when she wants a cigarette. Because <laughs> that, that is what my, lights my mother's fuse, moaners, and add to that, her sister burying their mother without telling anybody. <laughs> uh, my mother was quite cross. And her sister said, oh, don't be cross, don't be cross. I did it for you. Because, you see, I thought if we left her in the crematorium, our brother would come and put her on the dust cart. And I couldn't invite you to the funeral because I thought you'd tell him and he'd come and put her on the dust cart. And then I couldn't tell you for several weeks after the funeral because I thought you'd tell him he'd go to the churchyard, see the freshly turned square of turf, dig her up and put her on the dust cart. My uncle later said, of course I wasn't going to put her on the dust cart because... uh, he was using the rhetorical device hyperbole, which uh, <laughs> you, you would think my aunt, as uh, both a drama queen and a Cambridge English graduate, would recognise. Uh, so my aunt said, well, d- don't worry, though. I've, I've, already ha- I've already had my funeral, so the funeral that we've been planning can be your day, your day my mum, as if my mum wanted her own day my mother, don't want to make a fuss she's the only person born on Boxing Day who is happy that it's, that is their birthday because they never have to be the centre of attention of course she didn't want her mother's funeral to be her day and when the day came round it was not my mother's day, it wasn't even my grandmother's day it was very clearly my aunt's day as soon as the vicar started speaking and my aunt got up and said, excuse me this is my bit <laughs> It was, it was just obvious that this was my aunt's production and we were all just extras, so I do not count that as me having been at my grandmother's funeral. Uh, but the real kicker came afterwards. My brothers and I were out in the churchyard on the lawn where the cremated people were in the unmarked graves trying, trying to uh, imagine which one uh, was granny. And uh, so we asked my aunt and she said, oh, she's over there somewhere. And we knew she knew because she'd been there and because the vicar had a map. So she wouldn't tell us because she thought we'd tell my uncle. He'd dig her up, put her on the dust cart, like, a pe- like people do. Um, and the upshot of this all is that there's quite a big part of me that doesn't really believe my grandmother is dead. <laughs> because, firstly, we all know how she, she didn't want to be a fuss. Uh, so I just thought, you know, my declining years, didn't want to be a bother, so I thought I'd just fake my own death and then s- sneak off quietly. Uh, maybe I'll come and uh, hang out at Sparkle and t- disguised as a plant on the windowsill or something. Uh, 
Secondly, I knew she'd had faking of uh, deaths on her mind because uh, one Christmas she suddenly went into why she thought Princess Diana had what had actually happened to her. She said, I, I think she, she was so sick of the attention that uh, she decided to fake her own death in the car crash. And then when she heard that her true love, Dodie Fired, had died, she committed suicide in the scene, but she was fished out, but she had amnesia. So she went to India and, and became a nun. And then I think on her deathbed, she'll open her eyes for one last glance at the world and everyone will realise and they'll go, ah, oh, it was her all along. <laughs> the third reason was my grandmother had a lot of secrets because uh, nice as she was, there were things you couldn't ask her about. For instance, the weird love triangle she and my grandfather had with one of his former colleagues. And... <laughs> Some mysterious business about the Iron Curtain. I think she was running a spy ring, but not sure. So those are all stories for another day. Thank you very much. Helen Zaltzman, ladies and gentlemen. Wasn't she good? Wasn't she good? And weren't they all really good? Yes! Really enjoyed it. And you guys have been a beautiful audience. You've been really, really lovely. This is the first time we've done this, the first time we've had this best of evening. It's going to happen every first Monday of the month this year. So come back, tell your friends. Thank you very much. And a special thanks also to Chris on the piano. Hasn't he done a good job? As I said, we're going to be downstairs having a drink, come talk to everyone, mingle. Spark is about connecting people. So I hope you've done that tonight and I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Thank you very much for coming. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 